I've never been more proud of my shirt selection <laughs> this morning. Man, it is a nice shirt. Um, got here and that felt kind of out of place for a little bit. But, uh, man, I love this church. Um, some of you may know I grew up here and uh, was discipled here, came to faith here. I'm so thankful for this church and what God has done through it and is continuing to do through it. I'm thankful to be here with you this morning because um, it gives me an opportunity to thank you collectively for your partnership with IGO Global, where I've served for 20 years, calling this next generation to live on mission. Um, We do that through short-term mission experiences in camps. Camp next week for your students is uh, an IGO camp. And um, I will be there teaching in the mornings and just so thankful for the partnership financially that you have with IGO and also prayerfully. We really do need you to pray for us next week at each event that we put on during the summer, all the trainings. But next week especially for camp, as your students and the students from my church are going to be together at Dwell, pray for us all that God would speak clearly through his word and that God would mold hearts. I'm so thankful for uh, Ryan's leadership Uh, specifically with Dwell Camp. So we're excited about next week. Um, We can't wait to get there. Um, And I'm very, very thankful to be here this morning with you. We are going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 15 through 22. So if you'll turn in your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul is wrapping up this letter. And he crams about ten commandments here and instructions and exhortations into a few short verses. And he, he tends to do that at the end of the letter because uh, he can't text, he can't email. He's, he's cramming stuff in at the end of the letter, kind of like a nervous parent does to their 16-year-old when they're about to leave for the first time in the car. You know, the 37 commentaries, questions, and instructions that you give a 16-year-old before they leave and they're trying to get out the door. You know, don't do anything stupid. Watch that intersection in town. Um, Don't do anything I wouldn't do. Well, some of us can say that. Um, And he's trying to cram it in, and understandably so, because when he started, Paul started this church in Thessalonica, he had to leave unexpectedly. And so it's painful for him to only be able to touch this church through a letter. And so he crams some stuff in here in some few short verses, but we're going to look at another passage, too, that will expound a little bit on what he is calling the church to this morning. The Thessalonian church is under oppression. Uh, They're doing well. He's encouraged, but uh, they're facing some evil. They're facing some harassment. And um, so let's look and see what Paul has to say to them here at the end in verse 15. See to it that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So you see, he, he just hits these points very simply and very quickly and doesn't expound on them, but he makes sure that they understand. Be good to one another. 
Don't repay evil. Abstain from evil. Don't quench the spirit. He just wants to make sure he gets that in. Let's look at, he pairs these things up. The first two are, do not repay evil for evil and do good to everyone. He takes those and pairs those together. Let's look at that one first. See to it that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another. Now, I don't consider myself a vindictive person. I'm not looking for a fight. I'm not one of those guys that, that is always looking for some sort of tension. I hate conflict. I, I just soon everybody leave me alone. I'll leave them alone. Uh, I'm not that kind of guy. I have friends that like that. They like the tension. They like to tussle with people. Uh, that's not me. I don't consider myself a vindictive person, always looking to pay back people. Uh, I can let some things slide. I'm a pretty easygoing guy, I think. Something weird and transformative happens. To me, when I get behind the wheel of the car, especially in Dallas traffic, and I want payback, and the worst part is when everybody has to merge to one lane, you, you probably understand what I'm talking about, and drivers like me are politely getting in line looking for my spot, and then there's two evil drivers who race past us to get the spot at the end, to skip all of us good drivers. And it's amazing. It's a silly illustration, but it's amazing what I'm capable of in that moment, in my mind. I would love to get up there and see that they got a nail in their tire. Wouldn't that be great? I had the thought when we get through the merge that they would be pulled over. Man, wouldn't that be good for skipping me? We are all capable, right? Even if you don't consider yourself to be vindictive, you don't consider yourself somebody that's always looking to repay. Even us nice guys can be vindictive. It's in our nature. This is not easy for us to hear Paul say, don't repay any evil for evil. That's not easy. It's not natural. It's not natural for me. It's not natural for you. We all have the capability for payback. And so we need to recognize that. This this is not something that comes natural to us. And maybe this plays out different for us, especially in the church, isn't that? We like to maybe hide our payback sometimes. Maybe that means if someone has done something to you, maybe they've gossiped about you or they've hurt you uh, or they've done something manipulative to you, um, we're very good at hiding our payback where we manipulate them. Or we hope for something bad to happen to them because they inflicted something either intentionally or unintentionally on me. I would like for them to kind of get some payback. And if that means I can kind of hide and manipulate and maybe say something about them or to them or for them or hope for them, and maybe that's even easier for us to do that outside the church. When we see someone that is unfair to us, neglects us, is abusive, cheats us, Whatever that experience looks like, it's very easy for us to hope for and want for them to get their payback. We're all called as the church, as believers, to not react and to not respond. Now, you think about this Thessalonian church. They're experiencing this kind of tribulation where the authorities are corrupt, right? 
They've got people in the church who have been unlawfully arrested. He's taken into custody, and then they're being bribed to get those people out. Let me just speak to the red-blooded Americans for a second. Those of you who work hard for your money, and a government were to arrest one of us, and the only way to get and it was unlawful, unfair, they were cheated, and it was your responsibility to pay to get them out, your hard-earned money. Do you see how that, that feeling that's welling up in you, that wells up in me as I think about that happening, as I import myself to Thessalonica, to think that I would have to pay unlawfully to get my brother out of jail? Boy, that burns me. That chaps my hide. I don't know if it chaps yours, but that chaps my hide. It makes me feel like that's not right. That's evil. And what I really would like is for them to get their payback. And that's what's happening in Thessalonica. Harassment, blatant oppression, totally unfair how they're being treated because, listen, this is key, they're being treated this way because they're the church of Christ. They're Christ followers. Now, I don't know if how many of you have been treated unfairly, cheated, uh, neglected, abused because you're a Christian. But that's what the Thessalonians church is experiencing. And I don't know that we've ever experienced much of that, but I can tell you this. I think we can all agree that right now in our world, common Christian beliefs, common Christian truths, very basic principles of our faith are now being considered dangerous or harmful or ignorant. Or archaic. Do you see it? Do you, do, you, do you see it in the news? Do you see it on social media? That common, basic Christian beliefs, straight from God's Word, are now being considered dangerous and harmful, ignorant, stupid. And, and where this really gets me is when I think about my kiddos, when I think about my teenagers, when I think about your students, our students. And I don't think that's going to get a lot better. I think it will be more difficult for them as they stand up for God's word, as they stand up for their Christian faith, they will increasingly be treated unfairly, maybe neglected, embarrassed, made fools of, cheated because of those basic Christian beliefs. And as a parent, I can tell you honestly, I'm not a... a little bit ashamed of it, but what I want when I think about that happening to my kids is I, I want them to, to experience vindication. That's my first response. I don't want to be, have to tell my, my, my student, my teenager, hey, when that happens, here's what you do. Nothing. When you're treated unfairly for your faith, when you're made fun of, when you're ridiculed, when you're cheated, here's what you do. Nothing. That's hard for me as a dad. That's hard for me to be able to think about that. But that's what we must model for our students. That's what we must model for this next generation because Paul says, see that no one pays. That's God's will for us in Christ Jesus is that we as a people walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And when evil is done to us, Our response 
is to not respond. It's forgiveness and it's to run from evil. That's difficult. Now, we must model that. Now, like I said, Paul's shooting these comments and these uh, directives really quickly at the end, but I want to show you where he expounds on this because in his letter to the Roman church, he expounds on this, and that does two things. That helps us understand it a little better, but it also does this. It tells us he said it to other churches, so it's probably really important. Does that make sense? He's not just saying it to this church. He's saying it to other churches, and he's expounded on it. We need to pay attention. So if you will, turn to Romans chapter 12. And we're just going to look at a few passages where this is, Paul expounds on this. And students, I want you to, specifically teenagers, the next generation, I want you to pay special attention to this because these are the marks of a true Christian. If you're wondering, does my life portray a living, breathing Christian? Is it a true and faithful believer and follower of Christ? Here's the marks. Listen to how he expounds on this with the Roman church. Look at verse 9 through 10. We're going to skip around just a little bit. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Get this. Outdo one another in showing honor. Man, look at verse 14. This is where it gets tough. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. And now look at verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, here it is, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Here's how we can walk in this. Here is how we can be confident and we can be comfortable and we can be um, sure that we are not to repay evil for evil. It's because God has made us the promise that he will. Isn't that good? He, you can rest in the promise that he will level the playing field one day. He will take care of it. He will repay evil. He will treat the evil people. He will treat the evil been done to you. He will repay. Another good passage. You may want to write this down, or it may be on the screen. Psalm 37, 13. Listen to what it says. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. He laughs at the wicked. When you are done wrong, when you are cheated, when you are treated unfairly for your faith, he laughs at them because he knows their day is coming. I think I need to take this verse to my dash, right? When I'm driving in traffic, of course, I don't drive in traffic. My wife has to take us to Dallas because I can't do it. She ha- we go across the lake, she has to drive. But this is something I need to put on my dash so I can just laugh at all the evil drivers. Isn't that good to know that we have a God who promises He promises to take care of it. He promises to avenge. And he laughs at the wicked. And what this is saying, what Paul is saying here, and what God is saying through these words of Paul is this, church. Trust me. Trust me. 
when you're neglected, when you're abused, when you're cheated, when you're hurt, when you're made fun of, when you're ridiculed, no matter the tribulation, trust me. We serve a God that laughs at the wicked. And God does not owe us an explanation for the evil that he allows. Let me say that again. He does not owe us an explanation for the things that he's allowed to happen. He's God and we're not. But church, we can trust him because he promises to avenge and he laughs at the wicked. Students, no matter what you have been put through in school, no matter how afraid you are to stand up for what you believe, no, no matter what you're afraid of or what you've been through, you have a God that laughs at the wicked. And you have a God that you can trust to repay. Back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. There's one thing I want you to see here in the first. As he starts off in verse 15, he says this, See that no one repays anyone. Okay? That's important. In the original language, it's see to it. See to it. So he's not just saying this in general, don't do that. He's implying accountability. And so what Paul is saying is, you see to it that I'm not vengeful. I'll see to it, Matt and your staff will see to it that you're not vengeful. You see to it that he's not vengeful. You see it that he's not vengeful. She's not vengeful. You see the accountability. We hold one another accountable. He's speaking not just to individuals, but he's giving us a directive as a, as a body of believers to see to it and help one another in this. There's a level of accountability here that needs to be on our radar as our faith is increasingly more and more seen as archaic, offensive, and harmful. You need to help one another. You need to help me. We must do this and walk it out together. I hope that's encouraging to you, that you're not alone in this. We need each other to walk like this and live like this. It marks us. We do not seek revenge. It goes against everything in our nature. Instead, our response is kindness. And that's the second half to verse 15 here. See to it that you do good to everyone. And what he's talking about there is kindness. I love this quote from Harold Akinja in his book, Faithful in Christ. He, he, he sums it up like this. Nothing in life is comparable to forgiveness. Hate, bitterness leave a seared heart and mind, even on the one who takes the vengeance, as well as on the object of hate. Forgiveness and sympathy and love are a balm for heart and mind. Where these virtues exist, the burden Tenseness and worry of life are easily removed. Where forgiveness is, God is. Now, I know that this is very, maybe very difficult to hear because you may be, have been on the receiving end of some pretty terrible evil. But if we want to be a people, and if we're going to be a people who say, God is with us, God is here, God is true, God is real, Forgiveness will reign, and vengeance will be hard to find. Forgiveness will reign, and vengeance will be hard to find. Seek to do good to one another, the brotherhood and everyone else. Not just each other, but everyone outside the church. Remember Romans 12, outdo one another 
and showing honor. I've got three questions that may help you. If you're sitting there thinking, am I somebody who really seeks to do good and I want to outdo everyone else and honoring others? Am I somebody that is loving the brotherhood well and loving others outside the brotherhood well? Listen, here's three questions for you. How can I make any situation easier for you? Think about the different situations that you're in. Neighborhoods, workplace, family, friends just hanging out, wherever you are. Are you somebody that's asking, how can I make this situation easier for you? That's kindness. That's doing good and seeking to do good to others. Here's a second question. How can I avoid... Students, listen to this one. How can I avoid embarrassing, pressuring, and manipulating others? Is that us? How can I avoid embarrassing, pressuring, and manipulating others? Third, how can I absorb the difficulty of any situation into myself? And that's similar to the first one. How can I make things easier on you? How can I take on the difficulty that helps you? That's seeking to do good. That's kindness. That's thoughtful. How can I absorb the difficulty of any situation into me and off of you? And that's what we're called to. That is salty and that is bright to a world that doesn't see much of that. Jesus said it like this. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's what Paul is saying here. Deny yourself. Jesus said it like this. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Now the phrase, I guess that's just my cross to bear. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. That's, that's passive stuff. That's, that's the world stinks and it's hard and there's sin and stuff just hits you. Your cross to bear is active. It's a decision that you and I make where we deny ourselves taking up our cross and following him. My kids don't do this so much anymore, but they used to do this when they were a little younger. Um, I don't know why it was such a big deal, but when we tried to decide where to go eat, that was always such a tough decision, and they, they made it so hard, and they were so selfish about it, and if we decided to go where my youngest wanted to go, the older two would just, oh, I hate that place. So selfish. No, we'll, we'll, go to, we'll go to where my oldest wants to go eat. My other two, oh, I hate that place. And it's a silly illustration. But if this had ever happened, I would have passed out. If my children said, oh, you, you want to go there? I would rather go there, but I want to go there and eat because you want to. <laughs> it's otherworldly. We only get here with the Spirit's help to look to somebody else and say, how can I take the difficulty off of you? How can I absorb the difficulty of the situation? How can I make things easier for you? That's what Paul is calling them to here. Now, look at verse, quickly, look at verse, um, let's see, verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Well, he packs these three together, and there's a lot there, right? Pray without ceasing, does he mean... uh, You have to constantly be in a state of prayer, and you're supposed to always be praying. That's not psychologically possible. He's using hyperbole here. Be a people who 
Your response to what's going on to you is to be joyful, to be grateful, and your first response in any difficult situation is to go straight to the Lord in prayer. Does that make more sense? Be a people that in generally, when tribulation comes, when hard things happen, when evil happens, we're joyful, we're grateful, and we immediately go to the Lord in prayer. That's how we respond. And so I wonder, is that us? Do we have the eternal perspective to be a people who, when bad things happen to us, our first response is to to immediately be joyful and to immediately go to the Lord in prayer and be grateful for what he's already put in front of us? To be grateful, listen to this, to be grateful that the God that we serve laughs at the wicked. To be grateful that he will repay. Be grateful that we have a God that we can trust. And that's what he's calling us. Think about your coworkers. Think about your neighbors for a minute. The neighborhoods that you live in. What would your neighbors say about you and their limited interaction with you and with me? What, what would they say when they've seen what you've gone through in your life, good and bad? Would they say, man, that dad, that mom, they are generally, they're a joyful people and they always go to the Lord. They seek him. It's obvious. And they're just a grateful people no matter what happens to them. Is that what, how they would characterize you in your neighborhood, at your workplace? Is that how they would characterize you? Or would it be, man, they've had a lot happen to them, and they sure are negative. They don't seem to have found any joy in any situation. They have a critical spirit, and they tend to really be negative based on what's happened to them. This isn't easy. It's difficult, and we need the Spirit's help. But in the midst of the trial, can we focus on what God has put in front of us? What he's promised, that we can trust him, that he laughs at the wicked. I hope and pray that he causes us to be that kind of people. Look at verse, uh, let's look at 19. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. What he's saying there is, when anyone speaks and they're, have a word from the Lord, don't dismiss it and discount it. Now, we have, at the time, they didn't have the finished scriptures, but we do. And so, with these finished scriptures, how do you respond when someone comes to you about any matter and says, this is what God's word says? Even if it's corrective for you, maybe especially if it's corrective for you, do you despise that when someone says, hey, I heard you say this, I'm seeing you live this way, but God's word says this about that. Do you despise it or do you receive it? When we despise, when someone, whether it's your pastors or Sunday school teacher or just a friend, parent, when they say, this is what God's word says and your life doesn't align with that right now. When we despise that, we're quenching the spirit. When we choose not to listen to the things that we don't like from scripture, we're quenching the spirit. Does that make sense? And Paul says, don't quench the spirit. Be receptive to a word from the Lord. Be a people that are receiving, eager to receive what God's word has to say. Be a people eager to receive that word. Don't quench the spirit. And then lastly, verse 22, he says, abstain from every form of evil. He shifts from talking to the whole church and holding each other accountable to each individual here. He's speaking to each individual. This is what you must do. You must abstain from every form of evil. And what he means here is, it's up to you to have self-control. It's a, it's a fruit of the Spirit. If you have the Spirit, you're going to have to exercise self-control. 
to abstain from every form of evil. It's a very blanket statement from Paul. But the key is we must be a people that exercise self-control in terms of vengeance and in terms of any other sin put before us. We must be a people who exercise self-control. The bottom line here is, church, it really matters how we live. Students, it really matters how you live, the choices that you make. And some of these things we've looked at today are not easy. They're very difficult. But this is, church, this is what will set us apart in the coming days. Things like this that Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians with. This is what will set us apart in the coming days. Is if we walk this way with one another. Abhor evil. Outdo one another. If we embrace forgiveness and kindness. And if we really are a people who when oppression and harassment comes... We don't do anything. We're joyful. We're grateful. And we go straight to the Lord in prayer. That's his instruction for us. And he says that is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I'm praying that for this church, that you would be a beacon in this community, continue to be one that is very otherworldly, that you stand out as a people that look like this. And that our students that we are raising up and discipling will be this kind of people in the coming days. It's not going to be easy. We must have the Spirit's help. We, do you see that how important it is, students, to, to be in the Word? To know what He's called you to? To know how to live? And my prayer is that as we live like this, God would be glorified and more and more people would come to Christ. Because we're living like this. We're living like Paul's called us to live. Like God's called us to live. That he would be glorified in our lives. And more and more people would come to Christ. Because some are going to see it. And they're going to hear it. And they're going to smell it on us. And they're going to love it. Some won't. Some will really love a life lived like this. Y'all join me in prayer. As we're praying, just know that there will be folks in the foyer as you leave. If you need to talk to somebody, elders will be there. Um, Others will be there. They can connect you with someone. If you need to talk with anybody about anything that's going on in your life or anything that we've covered today, uh, anything that God has revealed, um, just know there's people here that would love to walk this out with you. God, you're good, but this is hard. It's hard to be this kind of people, God. We need your Spirit's help. Help us to be a people who are living otherworldly ways. Keep our hearts from being seared by vengeance. Help us to outdo one another. And God, my prayer is that you would be glorified in this community and around the world because the people here live like that. Thank you for Paul's heart for the Thessalonians and for his instruction. And I pray that no matter what happens in our world, if it gets more difficult quickly or if it just slowly becomes more difficult, that 
we would be and this next generation of students would be people who live like this. We love you, Lord, and we trust you.